Robert, he's doing well today. I wore some different shoes I normally wear, and a lot of you already noticed. Um, when, he wears, when you have feet this big and you wear shoes this bright, people kind of take note, right? Uh, it, it, they kind of stand out. But here's the thing, me and my sons, uh, 15 and 17, that's them, not me, um, Thank you, Clint. Um, we like new shoes. We like new sneakers. We like dress shoes. We like all of those kind of things, right? Anybody here uh, love new shoes? A few of you, right? Some guys that are brave enough uh, to say, yes, I like new shoes. I like new shoes, but here's the thing with new shoes. These aren't actually new at all. They just look kind of new because I don't wear them very often, but uh, my son Elijah bought these for me for Father's Day. That'll be two years ago this Father's Day. But even though that I don't wear them super often, new shoes, what happens to them? The same thing that happens to you, friends. They get old. <laughs> right? They, they get creases in them uh, or wrinkles, whatever you want to say. Uh, uh, they, they start to smell a little bit different over time, right? Anybody have teenage sons who thinks, you know what's cool? No socks. That's not cool. That stinks, okay? So they start to smell. They start to get wrinkled and creases in them. They get dirty. They get scuff marks. But somewhere along the way, you have these new shoes that you like, but now they look a little bit worn. However, they're more comfortable because you've broken them in. So you have this little sweet spot of time where those new shoes aren't new anymore necessarily, but they're super comfortable and you just really enjoy wearing them. But what happens as you continue to wear them? After they get comfortable, they start to become destroyed. And before long, they're no good to you anymore and you just kind of have to throw them away. You see, the truth of the matter is, that's not just true about shoes. That's true about pretty much everything in this world. You know, not that long ago, I bought a, a, my, my wife a new car and, and it had that new car smell, right? Does anybody hate the new car smell? So, okay, a couple of people. I love the new car smell because it reminds me that I have arrived, right? We've got a brand new car, not some old car that somebody else drove around and abused, a brand new car. And I love the smell, but, but it doesn't take long. Kelly, uh, actually it was me, I'm driving her car near Pittsburgh and, a, and a, uh, a stone comes up and breaks, puts a crack in her windshield and this new car isn't so new anymore. And, and, and you, you go to the grocery store and after a while you stop parking far away, right? And you start parking closer and somebody's door hits your car and there's a little ding in it. And over time, the tires go bad. The brakes start squeaking. That thing that was new not that long ago is starting to get corrupted by this world and start to get older and show its age. I'm not saying all this to depress you. Although it could. Everything in this world decays and, and grows old after a time of maybe even comfort. You see, I think this thing about comfort actually speeds up the aging process in some ways. You know, the more comfortable my shoes are, the more I want to wear them, the more that I wear them, the quicker that they become old and tattered and, and useless to me after a period of time. Our bodies, unfortunately, man, isn't that the truth about our bodies too? Remember when you were a teenager? The world may have been in black and white, but do you remember when you were a teenager? right? How good you felt. Sometime after maybe 40, you sneeze and pull a muscle in your back and need to go to the doctor. Life isn't always fair, but that happens, right? 
things get old. I want to talk to you about an exciting prospect today that we come uh, across in Romans chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there as well. This exciting thing is God making, giving us a new life. This new life is different from the old in so many ways, and we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But this new life that we have been given in Christ will never grow old and go away, or never be corrupted, or, or it will never uh, uh, see rust. It will never get creases in, in your shoes, right? This new life in Christ is like this perpetual newness. And friends, this is something for us to get excited about, like really excited about, because we've exchanged something that we have earned that is no good for us for a gift that has been given to us that's really good for us. It is the greatest exchange in mankind and humanity, and we get to talk about that this morning. Uh, before we do, we're going to jump into Romans 6 uh, verses 1 through 4. Before we do that, would you join me in a word of prayer? God, I just thank you for new things. But God, I thank you for the reminder that even the new things, if they're material things, if they're fleshy things, God, that they will also get old. They won't last forever. We really can't find a lasting joy in them. But God, we thank you that in you, you have given us this new life. And it's perpetually new. God, I'm reminded that this morning I woke up to new mercies that I need so badly today. Lord, as we go through your text today, may you speak through your word and that it would draw us closer to you. God, that we would leave here looking more like you than when we arrived. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, I'm going to stop there real quickly before we go on further. Uh, this, this what shall we say then, this is referring to what has just come before. Uh, last week we talked about this, the standing in God's grace and, and how bad and desperately we need the grace of God, not just in our moment of salvation, but throughout our lives. If you remember uh, Romans, and we're going to come back to Romans 6, but Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Again, keep your finger on Romans 6. We're going to come back there in just a moment. We, we talked last week about what does it mean to stand in the grace of God. But I want to talk a little bit about what grace, standing in the grace of God isn't this morning before we return to Romans chapter 6. You see, standing in the grace of God does not mean that we remain unchanged. It doesn't mean that we remain unchanged, that nothing in my life needs an upgrade. While the world might tell you that you are perfect the way you are, or maybe you had a mom like mine that always said that, you are just perfect the way you are. She was delusional. <laughs> or, or maybe, you, you know, the message is, 
be happy with the way that you are. You should just be satisfied with the way that we are. But standing in grace doesn't tell us that. It tells us that we need to grow and become more like Christ. Standing in grace is not living our lives selfishly. Again, the world may tell you, look out for numero uno, right? You let other people worry about other people. You just worry about yourself. If it makes you happy, then it's okay. Right? Isn't that the world's message for us today? That's not what standing in grace is. Standing in grace doesn't mean that we can satisfy our flesh or our desires. The world's telling you there are no boundaries. Everything is okay for you. That's not true, and that's not standing in grace. What the message the world gives us is you are the greatest power in your life, effectively making you God. You can choose everything now your gender, right? Even your species in some cases. There's some, there's some strange things in the world right now. That's not what standing in grace is. Standing in grace is definitely not continuing in sin. And that's going to get to the heart of what the Apostle Paul is going to come to in Romans 6. Standing in grace isn't just, hey, I received grace, therefore I get to sin as much as I want. Woohoo! That's not standing in grace. Standing in grace can't just be about receiving grace every time we sin. And we're going to come back to Romans 6, but my first point this morning about that is this. We have freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. You see, that's not what standing in grace is at all. We don't have the freedom to sin. We have the freedom from sin. Back to Romans 6, 1 through 4. I'm going to start over there. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? The newness of life. This text gives us this picture, this, the same picture that we see in baptism. Uh, last week and the week before, we've, we've been fortunate enough to have some baptisms here at Berean. And, and baptism is really, it's not just a public profession of faith, that's, that's part of it. But for us as the church, as the ones who are watching the baptism, it, it's, it's a picture of a spiritual truth. It's a picture of what has happened in the life of the person being baptized. When you go down into the water, it's a picture of dying to that old self. The baptism isn't just a birth, but it's also a death and a burial. It's a funeral, the beginning parts of it. So we go down into the water uh, like Christ into death, but then coming out is a picture of this resurrection. It, 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 it pictures Christ's resurrection but it reminds us that we too will be resurrected and born new. So it's a picture of death, but it's a picture of new life as well. And oftentimes we say to walk in the newness of life at the end of a baptism. You see, that's what it, that symbolizes. That's what it is a picture of. It's one of the reasons why we celebrate and cheer when somebody comes out of the water. We're not just cheering the death of that old man or old woman. We're cheering the new life that God has given them and the promises therein. You see, the old man is dead. The new man or woman 
is born. And guys, this new life is something we all so desperately need or needed. And it's a perpetual newness. It wasn't just new for me uh, 39 years ago. Oh my goodness. I didn't do the math before I went here. 39 years ago when I first accepted Jesus to be my Lord and Savior and I passed from death unto life, it's been new ever since. Isn't that neat? This perpetual newness that we walk in the newness of life, the old being dead, the new being alive. What is this new life? What is this new man or woman uh, supposed to look like? How are things supposed to be different? Well, in a letter to the church in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul, same one who wrote this letter to the church in Rome, uh, uh, gave some practical insight of what does this new person look like. And you can find that in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to go ahead and read kind of an extended text here uh, for verses 4, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 17 through 32. So uh, if you want to just flip over to Ephesians, you can do that now. Otherwise, we'll have the text on the screen as well. By the way, while you're turning there, I don't know if you caught Kelly saying this, but a girl gave her life to Christ at camp yesterday. What, what, what news to celebrate? You know, uh, you know, you say, think about all the kids going there, the fun that they're having, but the fact that they're being challenged and the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to their hearts and somebody there passed from death into life and now is the newness of life ahead of her is something that we ought to definitely be celebrating. What an awesome, awesome thing. Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have been given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit, uh, the spirits of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Paul's coming in pretty hot right now. Saying, church in Ephesus, do you remember what that old man looks like? You surely aren't looking like that, are you? Because that was your old self. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and sin, and, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may uh, have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. So the Apostle Paul says, here is what your old life looked like. 
Certainly it doesn't look like that anymore, right? Here's what the new life ought to be marked by. The old life, callous. This idea of being callous to sin. You know, callous is something that we build up so that we can be comfortable. You know, maybe if you're swinging a hammer, you'll build up calluses on your hands so your hands won't hurt any longer when you swing the hammer. Sin does the same thing to us. The more we entertain it, the more callous we become to it. And the more comfortable we become with it which is a slippery slope because oftentimes it leads to more sin and to more sin. And then we get callous with that sin and continue on. The old life was callous to sin. No conviction there of those sins. The old life, given up to sensuality, to your own wants, to your own desires, given up to greediness, every kind of impurity, deceitful desires. Friends, that's who we were. That is not who we are. That's what the Paul, Apostle Paul is saying here. That's who you were before Christ has given you your new life. But you have indeed been given a new life follower of Jesus. That is no longer who you are. So certainly we're not living like that old self, right? The new life speaks truth. The new life does not sin in anger. Notice he doesn't ever say here, you can't be angry. You know, I've heard that so many times. Well, if you're angry, that's a sin. Not necessarily. Be angry and don't sin, right? Don't allow your anger to drive you to sin, but you should allow your anger to drive you to restoration and reconciliation. Come to terms with others. The new life doesn't steal, but works for what he has and then shares it with other people, recognizing that we're all in this thing together that we're all one body as followers of Jesus Christ this gives, this is a new this comes out of a new understanding of what possessions are and who they actually belong to the new life is kind tender hearted and forgiving maybe at some point today you just have a moment of reflection and ask yourself who do you look more like the old self or the new you see this doesn't happen overnight the fact of the matter is this walking in the newness of life this idea by the way that the word is sanctification that we become more and more like Jesus as we go less like our old self more like the new life in Christ but we need to ask ourselves do we look more like Jesus today do we look more like that new creation today or more like the old? If somebody is going to describe you, are they going to say that you speak the truth, that when you're anger, angry, you don't sin, that you, you come to terms with people often and, and, you, and, you, and you make up when there are arguments, that you don't steal but you work for what you have, the fact that you share what you have with others because you understand the possession that you have been given, you are a steward of. Would people say that you are kind, that you are tender-hearted, and that you're forgive, forgiving? Would those things be mentioned of you living in the new life? You see, I'm going to give you the rest of this time. We're going to be back in Romans 6. There's three consequences of this new life. Three consequences of this new life. The first consequence is this. In this new life, there's an emerging image of Christ in us. 
You see, when we're walking in the newness of life, there's an emerging image of Christ in us. Listen to Romans 6, verses 5-7. through 7. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. This, this body of sin that's in our text, uh, the word is soma, the Greek word is soma, and it's, it's your flesh. It, it, it speaks of our sinful selves, that old person encapsulated in this body of sin. Again, that's who we were. That's not who we are. He says this body of sin, this, this encapsulation of our sinful selves has been brought to nothing. The Greek word there is one that I cannot pronounce and will not try. But it means to abolish. Again, this body of sin to be abolished, wipe out, set aside. The eternal consequence of sin has been brought to nothing. It has been wiped out. It has been set aside. That deserves at least one amen. Man, I'll tell you what, guys. This is such exciting news. I don't care if you've heard it a hundred times. I don't care if you've heard it a thousand times. I am so grateful that God's mercies are new today. I am so grateful that I can walk in the newness of life. I, I am so grateful that I no longer have to fulfill the desires of my flesh and the desires of my heart. I'm so grateful that I can walk in the newness of life, not on my own weakness and in my own strength, but in God's strength through the power of His Holy Spirit who indwells me. Also, there is no consequence to the sin in my life anymore because God paid that price. God paid for my sin on the cross. That's something for us to get excited about. Or have we become comfortable with that truth? And in becoming comfortable with it, we forget that we're even wearing it anymore. Let's not grow comfortable with the fact that we are a fallen, sinful people that have been given new life. Not by doing anything, not by being as special as we think we are, but by the sacrifice of God and sending His Son Jesus to die a horrific death on our account but to also rise victorious over the grave, to rise victorious over sin, and then to give us His Spirit to indwell us, to give us the power to walk in the newness of life. Friends, I've had this debate with so many people about, hey, listen, it's impossible for us as humans to not sin even after following uh, or putting our faith and hope in Jesus. Listen, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Now, I'm not going to tell you I'm not going to sin in my life. I'm not going to tell you I'm not going to sin today. But what can I tell you is this. All things are possible through Christ. Uh, what I'm going to tell you is the power, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in me. I'm going to tell you that I have been given a new nature. I'm going to tell you that I have been given a new outlook. I'm going to tell you I've been given a new life and it is empowered by God. And today I don't have to choose sin. And neither do you. Now what happens when we begin to walk in the newness of life? we begin to look more and more like our Savior. 
Again, the first consequence of this new life is an emerging image of Christ in us. He says we are no longer enslaved to sin. That means that now you and I have a choice to make. Today, are we going to walk in the newness of life? Or have we been comfortable? Have we been grown comfortable with this message to the point where we forget about it? And we allow that old man and that old woman to keep coming through. Seeing more Christ in us happens when there is less sin in us. The less old Dan and the more new Dan that you see will result in seeing more of Christ, my Master, in me. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. That's the first consequence. The second consequence of our new life is the ability to truly and eternally live. You know, I like to say, if you put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ as your Lord today, the best days of your life are ahead of you. Because you can truly live. Not saying that there won't be challenge. Not saying that your old body won't eventually get sick and won't actually die. It happens. But your best days are ahead of you because now you have an eternal outlook and perspective. Romans 6, 8-11 through 11 says this, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You've been given a new life. When you die to sin, you live in Him. And when you live in Him, you truly live. You truly live. Christ's resurrection, by the way, is our single greatest source of hope. The resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to give away the Easter message if you pay attention here. There's going to be no cliffhanger. Be like, hey, well, you're going to have to come back April 9th to hear the rest. No. The resurrection of Jesus is the single greatest source of hope in our lives. You know, some people have a hard time believing certain things that we find in Scripture. You know, the, the, the flood that, 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 that took over the whole world. Uh, the parting of the Red Sea being a supernatural event done by God. Some people have a hard time believing that any of these things are possible or any of these things are real. And you hear people try to explain away how, how maybe something happened naturally uh, that, that might, might make us think that it was supernatural. You hear people making these arguments, but ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus rose from the grave, it is the ultimate validation of the rest of Scripture's. If Jesus really rose from the grave, it's not hard for me to believe any of the claims I find in Scripture. And it's the single greatest source of hope in my life. How can we be so sure that Jesus rose from the grave? I'm not going to spend too much time here, but that we could. First of all, hundreds saw the resurrected Christ, which was written about and documented while they were still alive, meaning they had time to refute the claims that they saw the risen Christ, yet they didn't. All but John, you talk about the, the, the inner circle of Jesus himself, all but John died horrible, and John was imprisoned. 
But all but John died horrible deaths that would, be, that would have been prevented had they renounced their claims that they had seen the risen Savior. You know, we talk about uh, Peter, a guy, a guy who kind of wimped out, remember, when he denied Christ. By the way, probably a lot of us would have done the same thing. Oh, we like giving Peter a hard time about that, don't we? Seeing what he was seeing, experiencing what he was experiencing, man, I wish I could tell you for certain I wouldn't deny Christ. But it would take the strength of Christ, not my own strength. That's for sure. But Peter, it says this is extra biblical, but that he was married and his wife was crucified before he was, and then he was crucified upside down because he didn't see himself fit to die the same way that his Savior died. And friends, I'm telling you, that is not a, a, a quick or pleasant death, but a horrible and long and painful one. Yet he did it all the while, all he would have had to have done is say, nope, I made it all up. I didn't see the risen Savior. The tomb is empty. The Roman soldier standing guard would never have allowed his body to have been stolen. It meant their lives. The tomb is empty. There are so many proofs that point to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which again, it's our single greatest source of hope. Because if Jesus really rose again, not only can we believe in all of the claims and promises in Scriptures, but we can believe that we too will rise again. Defeating death and sin. Christ isn't just our example in death, but He is our example for life. Being dead to sin is to be alive in Jesus Christ. Verses 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as uh, um, instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is good news. This means that you can and should be changing. Myself included. You know, sometimes we make light of the fact that we do make mistakes and we do continue in sin. But the power of God who lives in us allows for a different way forward. Are we becoming more like Jesus? It's good for us and it's good for those who are around us. Quickly, the third, consequences of our new li- third consequence of our new life is this. It means that you have exchanged what you have earned for what you have been freely given. Romans 6, 20-23, for, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time uh, um, from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, I hope that excites you. I know we know this verse and these verses and We've repeated them so many times, but let's not get comfortable with them. 
This is exciting. By the way, one of the things that is clear, we will always be slaves to something. Whether it's our own desires, our own wants, our own needs. Whether it's sin and unrighteousness, or it's God. One leads to death. The Scripture says one leads to life. You pick. What would you rather be a slave to? We'll always produce some sort of fruit. Apostle Paul says here, some fruit we'll be ashamed of and not want anybody to know about. That's the old self and the fruit that we had produced. Other fruit that we can produce is when we are living in the newness of life. It's a fruit of righteousness that leads to life. By the way, oftentimes not just your own, but the people around you who see Christ in you. Which are you going to choose today? We can now, because of what Christ has done for us, because of this great exchange of what we have earned to what we have been given, we can now live a satisfying, joy-filled, hope-filled life that produces eternal fruit. This is a we get to, not we have to, friends. The eternal fruit means that other people who can now have hope in their lives as well. The people around you need you to be walking in the newness of life. Why is any of this possible? It's because Jesus paid it all. He paid every bit of it. He paid your debt. He paid my debt. Sometimes we just need to remember that and walk in the newness of life and not become comfortable. How many of you, when you first gave your life to Jesus as your Lord, had to go tell somebody about it, but over time have grown comfortable with that fact and don't see the need anymore? We need to walk in the newness of life and it's a perpetually new life. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we're uh, getting ready to close this morning. As I do, again, I just kind of, my challenge for you comes in the form of a couple of questions for self-reflection. Does your new self look any different than your old self? Or have you become comfortable with the promises of God for your life and you've kind of just slowly crept into some old habits that you've had? Are you walking in that new life that Christ has given you? And in what ways do you continue to change and to become more and more into the image of God? If you're here today, maybe you're a guest and you've never put your hope and faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord. In truth, this has been a message to those who are Christians, those who have called themselves followers of Jesus who have been saved, and it's a challenge to us as the church to look more like Jesus, to, to, to continue to crucify that old self and live in the newness of life. But if you're here today and you haven't put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus as your Lord, maybe do that right now. You get to pass from death into life. You get to exchange the consequence of your sin for the gift of eternal life. One of the reasons, friends, we get so excited again when we see this baptism is because it reminds us of the consequence of sin. 
but also the consequence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our lives. Consider this morning putting your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus as your Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for your word. God, I, I, I'm, I'm so thankful that these ancient promises are so relevant for today and for our lives. I'm so thankful for the reminder that the old man has been put to death and I have the freedom now to stand in your grace by choosing life and righteousness in your power and in your strength. For anyone in this room, Lord, who has yet to put their faith and hope and trust in you, God, may your spirit convict them of their sins so that they would repent and turn from that and surrender to you. God, there is no reason for any of us to pay for our sins because you have already paid it all. If you're in this room and today is the day that you say, you know what, I'm ready for this. I'm ready to surrender my life to Christ. Every head down, every eyes closed. If that's you, just slip up your hand so I can pray for you not going to have you come forward or anything like that. I see your hands. God, I just thank you for those hands. God, I just pray that your spirit will convict of sin. That you will give those people who rose their hand the confidence and courage to tell someone. And God, again, I thank you for the removal of the consequence of our sins because of what you have paid for on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.